Welcome to the Impolite Psychologist. So for those of you who don't know, and I didn't know this, July 24th is considered International Self-Care Day. Uh, the reason I found this out was because I had signed up to do a workshop on, uh, it was actually a fitness workshop, but they told us after we signed up via email that our workshop was going to happen on International Self-Care Day. So I thought that was interesting. So I went to this, this workshop and I had noticed that, that the workshop was between the hours of 8.30 a.m. and 1.30 p.m. And I was looking all over their website and in the emails they had sent me prior to try to figure out what I was supposed to do about lunch. Because ending a workshop at 1.30 means that you are ending it presumably after a regular lunch hour. So I didn't see any information about this whatsoever. The information that was there was that they would be providing water to all of the participants in the workshop. So I thought to myself, maybe I'm supposed to bring a lunch and somehow I missed something. So I went ahead and packed myself a lunch. I also brought water because just in case, you just never know. So I get there and the person who is running the workshop says, here is the water that we have available to you. And basically it was one small bottle of water per participant. And I thought that doesn't seem like it's enough, especially considering this is a workshop that is about fitness and we're probably going to be doing some drills while we're here. The day went by, actually what's funny is that the workshop was absolutely fantastic. It really was about listening to your body, making sure that you take care of injuries, making sure that if something feels funny that you look into it, not to force yourself to exercise or to participate in any kind of fitness events or running events in which you are injured to just sort of take stock and do what your body needs. So yes, it was about self-care of the body. Great. The problem was that we ended at 1.30 and there was no food. No food offered, no opportunity offered for a person to eat a packed lunch, Nothing like that. So by the time the workshop ended for me, I was hangry. And I thought to myself, isn't this ironic that this is a self-care workshop that, as they pointed out, is, is taking place on International Self-Care Day. And they just completely missed the boat on taking care of the participants and they completely missed the boat on having the participants take care of themselves through eating an appropriately timed meal. And I think that this situation is really what I see a lot 
when it comes to self-care, that people will focus on some parts of self-care and ignore other obvious parts of self-care. Uh, I will get new clients into my practice and they'll complain about how stressful their life is. And then I'll suggest that perhaps they slow down or take care of themselves. And then basically they tell me, yeah, I'm not really going to do that. I'm going to continue living my life the way I have so far in this way that totally stresses me out and forces me into having to go to therapy to take care of it, but I'm not really willing to change anything. What I need to do, what I need from you as a psychologist is I need you to tell me how to not feel so bad when I'm stressed out, how to ignore those feelings, how to just carry on, how to suck it up, give me coping skills to get through the stress so that I'm not making it affect my life too much or I'm not allowing it to affect my life too much. And that's not how self-care works at all. Unfortunately, I have to say that this is very common. I get a lot of people who come to therapy and ask me to help them to not feel their feelings, that somehow their feelings are the problem. The real problem is actually that most people have been ignoring their feelings and putting up with a bunch of crap in their lives, and this is what is causing them stress. I feel like a lot of people are in jobs that they don't want to be in. They'd rather be doing anything but what they're doing and they want help sticking it out. And I think a lot of people are in relationships that they don't want to be in and they want help sticking it out. When really what needs to happen is that they need to listen to their feelings and make appropriate choices in their lives so that they don't feel frazzled all the time. They have to listen to those feelings of like, oh my gosh, I'm not going to be able to do my job without completely having a panic attack. Well, that's your body telling you something. And if you are practicing self-care, you would be listening to your body. As I've said before, I am a believer in medication for some people and some situations. There are people who go to psychiatrists in order to get on medication so that they feel less so that they can deal with their problems easier. And I don't think that numbing yourself out is the answer. To give an example, suppose that somebody was involved in a domestic violence situation and that it was stressing them out that they had to walk on eggshells or else they would be abused. Now, does it make any sense for us to put them on a medication to stop the stress of that? Or does it make more sense for them to get out of the relationship and take care of themselves? 
But this is what's interesting is that people are willing to put up with a bunch of crap, like bad situations in their lives and blame themselves for having the feelings about the situation being bad, having blaming themselves for feeling stressed out or blaming themselves for being depressed or blaming themselves for not sucking it up more. And I think there is sort of an obsession in our society with the importance of sucking it up. And it, it's usually one of those things that's very, very subtle. You know, I'll hear that. I'll hear people say, well, I've been doing it this long, so. Or I wish I wasn't such a drama queen. Or I wish I could just get over it. And that therapy is actually not there to get you numb. We're not here to teach you how to get more numb, how to suck it up more, how to get over it. We're here to help you to take care of yourself. So if you're unwilling to take care of yourself, then what's the point of going to therapy? There's a renowned physician by the name of Gabor Mate. And he does a lot of work around physical conditions and trauma, disease and trauma, ADHD and trauma, all kinds of things like that. Dr. Mate did a presentation at a conference I was at a few years ago in which he went through the obituaries of people who had died of cancer. And he just read them one after the other. And then he asked the audience, what did these all have in common? And every single obituary sounded the same. It sounded like they were describing the same person. They're describing somebody who was selfless, who gave their lives or dedicated their lives to other people in some way, who never thought of themselves, who never put themselves first. And there was a pattern to this, that these selfless people that I'm sure everybody thought of as wonderful were the ones who were dying of cancer. And so what does that say? It says a person who is always devoting their time and their love and their life to other people is neglecting themselves. And that's not to say that everyone who is selfless is going to develop cancer. But it says something about people who generally don't practice self-care. And the question is, what happens to your body when you don't practice self-care? What happens to your mind when you don't practice self-care? What happens to your life when you don't practice self-care? What happens is you end up in therapy trying to suck it up and trying to get your therapist to help you suck it up, right? And when you have to change things, when you have to take stock, and probably run your life completely differently. Maybe it means you have to leave that job or leave that career or leave that partner. That's a big deal. It is huge to make a decision like that. 
And yet at the same time, that may be the very thing you need. It often baffles me when people who are dating come to therapy and they want couples therapy and they want to come in and work things out with their partner. And I ask the question, you know, well, are you married? Do you have kids? You know, what seems to be the problem here? And a lot of times it's like two people are dating who are totally incompatible for one another and they want to go to couples therapy to fix that. And I'm not a huge believer in couples therapy for people who have nothing to lose by breaking up. If you're mismatched, you're mismatched. If you have nothing in common, you have nothing in common. If you don't have anything to lose, why aren't you just breaking up? Why are you trying to save something that's already dead and has no future? To me, this is people just being dishonest with themselves, dishonest about what they actually need in their life, afraid to make a big decision, afraid to break up with the other person. But that's no reason to stay in a relationship because you're afraid of the unknown or you're afraid that you're not gonna find somebody else or afraid that you're gonna upset the other person. That's no reason to stay in a relationship. And yet I get this a lot. I get unmarried people coming to therapy trying to work it out and I just don't understand why. If you're practicing self-care, you would take stock and recognize that you're trying to make a relationship work that wasn't right for you in the first place. And for this reason, anxiety is helpful. Anxiety, stress, that feeling of walking on eggshells, recognizing that there are certain topics that are sensitive to your partner that's always upsetting to them. I mean, this is your body's way of telling you, you shouldn't be doing this. You shouldn't be feeling this. But the hard choice is required. You're going to have to blow up your life. And so instead of people doing that, rather than people blowing up their lives, they choose to blame themselves for having stupid feelings. And that's just not the way to go. That is not a long-term plan for anyone. So a lot of times people also have misguided ideas about what self-care looks like. So I will often get people in my practice who have read some self-help book and they've decided to operate on the principles that they read about in the book. And, you know, sometimes they've read something really good and then I end up wanting to read it. But a lot of times there's misguided advice, misguided ideas. I often have problems with things like positive affirmation statements. Not that it's wrong to think positive statements like I deserve better, I deserve a good life, you know, I am worth it. The, all of those positive statements are really good. The problem is, is the way that people use those positive statements. Uh, for example, some self-help books might tell you to write down, you know, positive self-statements and stick them on sticky notes on the mirror so that you're reminded every day about your positive self-statements. And then what ends up happening is 
People wake up in the morning, they look in the mirror and they see their positive self statements and then they realize, oh my gosh, I haven't been practicing these positive self statements. What's wrong with me that I don't believe it? There's something wrong that I didn't think about it yesterday. I forgot to use my positive statements. And then it becomes a way of berating themselves. And in this way, I don't think that positive statements are helpful. Um, and, and then the other side of that is that a book might tell someone to come up with positive statements for themselves and they totally don't believe them. They don't believe that they are worthy and valuable and all these things. They personally don't believe it. And it's just a reminder that they don't feel that way. So th this is how sort of like well-meaning ideas about helping yourself with, with self-care can end up kind of getting screwed up and warped. The other thing I see happening is people kind of kicking the can down the road uh, when it comes to self-care. It's like, oh, I'll rest when I'm dead, or oh, I'll uh, be in a better space when this or that happens in my life. When my partner finally asks me to marry them, or this boss goes on vacation, or, or something that is generally out of our control, and people end up sort of waiting for the day when things get better and then that, that doesn't happen or it happens in a different way. Or the other one is, if I just buckle down and do more work or focus my attention on, then if I get my work done, get ahead of the game, if I just accomplish goals A, B, and C, then everything will get better. And when I get there, that's when I can relax. And the reality is, is that self-care is something that has to happen now. It's not something that should be put off to some future date that that's not how it works. That's certainly not taking care of yourself in a mindful way. The idea of doing it mindfully would be to recognize when things are kind of falling apart for you and to recognize that you need to take care of yourself sometimes in a moment, sometimes in, after interacting with people who drive you crazy, interacting with people who stress you out, interacting with people who have created trauma for you. But in order to practice self-care, you have to recognize that you are deserving of it and you are deserving of it in the moment that you need it the most. And I think that is a big hurdle for a lot of people is that they don't recognize that they actually deserve to get a break and they deserve to be taken care of. And the problem is, is that as an adult, no one knows what you need better than you and no one is going to do it for you. 
you have to do it for yourself. You cannot wait for someone else to take care of you. You have to do it for yourself. This is a true story, actually. Um, a long time ago, a group of friends who are very close to one another, myself included, went to dinner. And we have known each other for years. And one of our friends in the group has a mother who is an alcoholic. And we often talk about her struggles related to that and how she tries to manage that and navigate her relationship with a mom who is very, very difficult. And she comes to our dinners and she vents about what she's going through. And we just sort of listen with an open ear and it helps her to feel sane and it helps her to check in with other people to recognize that the problem is not with her and that she's doing the best that she can. And I believe that our gatherings help her out a lot. So one day um, we all decided to invite an acquaintance uh, to our dinner. Uh, she's someone else we know from another group and we decided like, you know, maybe she should come in and have dinner with us. And so we invited her in and she showed up slightly late and my friend was just kind of saying, I'm a little bit stressed out. I'm a little bit nervous that my mom is coming into town tomorrow. And this new person in the group immediately launched into, what are you saying? You should be happy that your mother is coming to visit you. You should be happy that she's in your life. You should be happy that she's in your children's life. You know, you should be happy and grateful and all of these things. And so what ended up happening as a result of that is my friend began to worry that she's a complainer, that she's not grateful enough and all this stuff. And what ended up happening was we decided to basically never invite that person to dinner with us again, because that was an inappropriate response to someone trying to take care of themselves. These dinners and her friends listening and being empathic with her is what actually helps her to cope with her mother and to get through and navigate that relationship, no matter how difficult it gets. But for her to be called out as a complainer who wasn't grateful, got her to second guess herself. And this is kind of the problem with the gratefulness stuff. I think that we can all be grateful for the blessings that we have in our lives. And there are many moments where we need to take stock and recognize all the good things in our lives. And that is important to have that. But the problem is I see this in a misguided way a lot. I see therapists even using that with their clients like, oh, you should count your blessings and let's, uh, let's think about the positive in this situation. And really that's irrelevant when we're dealing with people's stress and trauma and issues that being grateful kind of sends the message that what you're saying is not valid and you're just a complainer and you're just focusing on the negative. And especially 
in a place like therapy. If you can't bitch and complain and rant about the people in your life in therapy, then where can you do it? Where is there a safe place to do it? Because I think that when people are allowed to do that, then they can really kind of go through and understand their feelings and the seriousness of their feelings. When somebody tells them that they have to stop and be more positive, then that kind of invalidates what they're going through. So then the question becomes, what does self-care look like? I mean, obviously going to therapy is self-care. I would highly recommend it. I think everyone who practices therapy should at least go through it once for a good period of time in their lives, at least, probably more, probably much more. But it's about taking care of yourself so that you can be a better person to the other people in your life as well. I always equate it with the principle of the oxygen masks. You know, when you get in an airplane, they go through all the safety measures in an airplane. And one of them is that if the oxygen masks fall from the ceiling, you are supposed to put it on yourself first before you try and help other people. And this is just so symbolic about what self-care is. Self-care is making sure that that oxygen mask is on you first before you go out there and try to do anything else in your life. You really have to make sure that you are getting what you need in order to be better for yourself and better for those around you. And this is something that a lot of people miss. And it's unfortunate. So what does self-care look like? What specifically do people have to do to practice self-care? Well, I think you have to look at it in terms of mind, body, and soul. Right? You have to make sure that your mind is in check, that you're taking care of what your intellect needs, taking care of your worries, and making sure that you are not overwhelmed by those things. And so you're the only one who knows what the right thing is for self-care for you personally. One person's version of self-care might be another person's nightmare. One person might look at self-care as like, oh, anytime I can go and get a massage. And somebody else's idea of relaxing has to do with no one ever touching them at all. So it's important to know that it's up to you. And it's important to recognize your limitations in life in every area of your life and just call it. I can't do this anymore. I can't do this job, this career, this relationship, this whatever. I can't do it anymore and I need to do something differently. And from the perspective of body, this is really kind of obvious too. I mean, I know that women in particular are always 
concerned with their weight in one direction or another. I was watching a show, a TV show recently in which the topic was science and they had a, a researcher on who they kept interviewing about their scientific discoveries. And I couldn't get past the fact that this woman was vastly underweight. And I kept saying, is anyone going to call her out for her eating disorder? It's so obvious, right? And then it goes in the other direction, too, where people are so overweight that they have health conditions related to that. And so the body is really important that you have to feel good about how you're treating your body. You have to be okay with that part of your life. And if you're not okay, if you're underweight or if you're overweight or if you're doing something like binging and purging and you know it's wrong and you know it's abusive to your body, then you have to do something about that. No one's going to do it for you. And it doesn't matter what anyone else thinks. You know the truth. And the other thing is soul. Do you feel connected? Do you feel like your belief system is where it should be? Is there any place where you feel uncomfortable about that? And you need to do something about that. So one of the things that I tell my clients is that I feel like over 40 is a gift in some ways. Because I think one of the things I say that on a fitness level, right, when you're young and you're active um, and you're in your 20s, most of the time people in that age group will get some sort of injury, some minor injury, and just kind of, they'll just keep going. They'll keep working out the way they were and eventually the thing goes away. And then when you get older, as you get older, I feel like it's no longer a temporary injury. Every injury you have becomes a permanent condition for the rest of your life. And as a result of that, when you get old, you're a lot more careful about what kind of situations you're going to put your body in. You become, you take care of your body a lot more and you take note of injuries and recognize earlier on when an injury is happening. And the other thing is just getting tired, getting tired of drama, psychological problems, stress, uh, just getting tired of anything extra in your life that you don't need that uh, you there you get to an age where you stop caring about what people think of you and you stop participating in obligations that you don't want to you you know I stopped networking so much when I got a certain place in my career in a certain age where I decided it didn't matter who I knew in the field anymore and I wasn't going to walk into any more networking events that made me feel awkward in any way, shape, or form, or I wasn't going to stress out or I wasn't going to join any more committees because I just don't want to. Same thing goes, you know, with friends and family members who stress you out cause drama, 
you have to start walking away. And when you get tired, when you get older, you just know that you have a limited amount of space for this kind of crap and you just walk the other way. And so that becomes self-care, really. Recognizing your limitations is self-care. Recognizing what you would need to feel good about yourself is self-care and it's totally unique to you and no one can tell you how to do self-care. I've had clients tell me that they get advised to do meditation, but not everybody loves meditation. For some people, especially people who are struggling with mental health disorders, meditation is not the answer in any way, shape or form. It causes them to feel dizzy or disconnected or whatever. And and meditation is not the answer. So I think self-care is not a one size fits all by any means. And if you really do indulge in your feelings, if you really give in and understand what is going on with you and what is bothering you and take steps to making sure that that part of your life gets better, then you've done everything you need. 